Hello, everybody, and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your hosts, Grant from Fellowship Blades. I am Dalen from MachineWise. I am David from Contraption Collection. And I'm John from Triaxis. All right. We got it. Everyone said their name at the right time without was having impeccable. to rehearse or something. <laughs> Go right into it. How are y'all doing? I'm I'm okay. Uh, I haven't started in a while, so how would I briefly say a couple things? Yeah, it'll work. Uh, so I'm good and bad. Uh, I got more blades today from Lucas that are laser cut, oh, so nice. I can make more blades, which I haven't been able to for a little bit. Uh, and I got some anodizing back, so I could finally do the last bit of testing I wanted to do before putting anything on sale, but they, for some reason, made them slightly the wrong color. Oh. And, and so, like, I, I did a bunch of sample colors you saw a while ago. I didn't do them all at once, but I gave them a color to, to match that they themselves did only, like, a week ago, oh. and they did it slightly slightly wrong or slightly off. And off, you know, and off enough that's noticeable, and so... I don't know if I care that much, but I don't want that to like happen consistently. So I talked to them right. about it and they said they'd do my next batch for free. So that's nice of them. Okay. Um, but I can, I don't know. I, I'll, uh, I'd probably sell them eventually. They don't look horrible, but I, I don't know if I'd like, I wanted to sell these ones like, you know, almost right away, but I don't know if I like that color enough to, that want it to be like some of the very first ones. Yeah. What, what, sure what, what color it is? Yeah. What color? <laughs> it's a green. Okay. Oh. I got, I got like a really great foresty green. Uh, it looks really good in person. And so I was like, Oh, I was unexpected. I really like that. I want to do something like that. And, uh, uh, it came out not, it just, just kind of a weird tealish, not, uh, not very, not as dark. I don't know. Okay. This is like such a minor thing to complain about, maybe, but uh, uh, it's disappointing. And so hopefully at least I'll yeah. kind of be able to use the parts to like do what I said, which is like make sure I actually do have everything dialed in. Yep. Um, and uh, and go from there. And uh, and then I sh- I put some pictures I took. Those look awesome in uh, Discord, <clears throat> which um, uh, I you know I have to like put way too much effort into things. And so, you know, I could have just taken pictures of stuff with my phone and I'm sure it would have been fine, but I've been really frustrated since I started making videos, how bad I feel like I am with, uh, photography and Photoshop. Cause it's, it's definitely not exactly the same skill as like video stuff. Right. And so, um, I discovered this, uh, YouTube channel that's called a uh, workflow which is uh flow is spelled P H L O. And, um, I really learned like a lot of interesting stuff where with product photography, <clears throat> because in the past I'd like, I like really didn't know what I was doing. I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like to me, this is exciting and interesting, even though I probably shouldn't have spent time on it. And maybe people who are here for machining hate it, but like, it's so cool what you can do where even if you only have like one light, you can light part of your subject and then take a picture. And if you don't bump anything, which is hard cause I'm very clumsy, 
then you can light a different part of the subject and then put those together in Photoshop and just like oh. have one layer on kind of like an opacity that's lower or on a dissolve mode or, or a lighten mode, whatever, or use masks. And the whole reason you'd want to do this, besides not having to buy as many lights, is uh, it's really hard to photograph shiny things. It is. Mm -hmm. And yes, so if you can just like get exactly the perfect level <clears throat> of like the blade or something with the lights you have, and then exactly the perfect level with the handles, it's not actually as weird looking or bad or hard as you'd think to, to just smack them both together. And it's like you had perfect lighting for everything. That's right. pretty cool, actually. That's really cool. And so like the, to like a simple example is, um, he has the, that workflow guy has a tutorial on uh, photographing forks. And oh. so he takes a picture of forks just as an example on like a black background. And the forks, the forks look like pretty evenly lit and pretty nice. But because of where the light is, uh, the camera is not really picking up any of the edge of the fork, like mm. the side of it. And so it kind of makes the picture look more flat and two dimensional. And so what he does is he just takes a picture where he kind of shines the light on the edge of the fork, like the side of it. And it just adds that kind of shininess to the edge. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> what you're, what you're usually doing is you have like a, a photograph that's like, you know, 99% good, but then just adding in kind of like that edge shininess, just like, you know, kind of defines it more. Right. Um, especially with what I'm experimenting with, which I, I think Grant, you were too, is like, black backgrounds yeah i i took the the more mechanical approach um and just have multiple lights kind of hitting every subject um or have every part that i care about on a black background which i don't know if black backgrounds are inherently troublesome but i've had a lot of issues trying to trying to get it to work i finally found a good you know flow but it took me a while well, that that's another thing. Like, I I basically have like no knowledge of masking things. When I've made thumbnails in the past, mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it like I try to get everything on a white background, and I just like manually kind of, you know, trace my object and pull it out, and right. uh, it works for a thumbnail, but it's like so much effort and time, and I like finally just spent time learning how masking works in Photoshop, and so I took pictures where the background is like essentially pure black. But mm -hmm. then to be safe, I um, you just you just draw like a very rough shape around. And if you know that around the object is essentially pure black, then you can just kind of feather that, have it cut out as a mask. And then everything else, uh, you just put a layer of pure black underneath it so that you, you know, you know, and it, which is nice because then you don't even have to have like the whole area of the photo black. You just have to have around the object be black and right. you can worry about it later. And so I think like I've learned enough that like maybe I'll get one more light and I really probably won't even have to do that kind of Photoshop stuff. Um, it's just like a really, it, it's just so cool to me and so interesting to me when you know these tools are out there and like sometimes it's, you know, you get into it and it's not worth the time. T to me, I think this was worth it because it was like a short enough amount of time to experiment with. Mm -hmm. Um also, with the background thing, I bought it a long time ago. I was trying to find it so I could send it to you. Um, I got, like, I was super interested in, like, Vanta Black. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I found some company makes, like, black backdrops that are this, like, velvety material. 
And it like when you take a picture of it, at least um, that's another change I made is I'm using like a strobe, you know, like a, a camera flash instead of a um, instead of like a constant light. Mm. Um, because uh, if you know, usually if you're doing stuff with your phone or whatever, flash is like awful. Um, but if you can actually control your camera settings and use a flash, it's so much nicer because again, it's it's just the flash will allow you to do so much more light in like so much more specific of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, j- just the, the flash, the flash has been super great. I got to find figure out what that backdrop thing is. Um, but you know, it's just like a black velvety material that absorbs light. Um, and so, yeah, I know this isn't like the total typical stuff, but if you're like someone who is out there and you sell, uh, knives or whatever it may be, maybe check out this workflow guy or, uh, you know, more of this product photography kind of thing. That's pretty yeah. cool. I've, I've struggled a lot with product photography. Um, I keep changing everything I do like every single drop cause I'm just not happy with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, the latest thing I did is I have, I have three, uh, like photography lights in a black box or a, a dark box that I made out of foam. And then I have a sheet of G10 underneath and I prop it up with a little magnet and I can put my blade in there and I can, once I dial in all the settings, like the latest photos I think turned out the best I've ever had. Um, no, it's like crazy can, how similar they are. Some of them, are, you got like the reflection going. Uh, yeah. I haven't posted mine anywhere, but yeah, Fellowship Blades. Um, yeah, those are really good. Yeah, well, so the big thing that I'm really struggling with is anodizing is so hard to take photos of, like especially some of the more shiny or like the like the low purples just turn weird colors whenever you don't have the right lighting set up on them. Um and so I I don't want to do any Photoshop because I'm taking literally 30 photos every week. And so I just want to be able to take a photo, upload it to the site, and call it good. So all of those photos are just straight off the camera. Um, and, I've, and I finally dialed it just by using the right lights. And I literally sat there, like, moving my light a quarter of an inch and be like, oh, that's not, that's not good. Move it up an eighth of an inch and, like, dialing it into that degree. And it was just wild. But No, I... I, I uh... I went into this, even the Photoshop stuff, my idea was like, I want to figure out what needs to be done where I can just set up like a table permanently mm-hmm. to like take pictures every week or hopefully, you know, whatever speed I can start making stuff at. Um, because yeah, what, you know, doing the Photoshop is, is time consuming and like, maybe I shouldn't even say this cause people think I'll, I'm like Photoshopping things to be better than they are. I'm not like Photoshopping away tool marks or something. Oh no. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I definitely the goal is like the more it's just like, you know, you get the lights good enough and it's it's like bam. That that was what was disappointing me is I was hoping I could find a lighting setup where I can put the thing in different poses, the mm, scissors no. in different poses, and it would still be good. But <laughs> yeah. I'm probably gonna have to move lights. I'm probably gonna have to change the settings of lights or the settings of the camera. Yeah. Um, but still, I think I've like, it's hard to explain. Like I feel like I've unlocked a part of my brain where it's like oh you know this is like or even just like you know dialing in focus like Mm -hmm. you gotta have your stuff be in focus and and uh improving how i do that because in a video i can kind of film stuff and be holding things in different ways and if it's kind of blown out because it's too shiny or i move and it's a little out of focus i can cut around that because even Mm -hmm. though like it's a five second shot i've i've filmed for like a minute holding a screw and I just right. find the five seconds where it's all not blown out and it's in focus, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a different, different challenge. That's really cool, though. I your pictures turned out phenomenal. I think, um, yeah, those those look professional to me. So, oh yeah, sweet. mine look like terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate doing product photos. It takes yeah. so much time. I just take a picture with my phone and then I use that. Yeah, so I just don't make any products. <laughs> That's one way to solve that problem. <laughs> so uh, you've got a serial number on that one. Is that is that truly number one? You're selling number one. Yep, that's that's the one I want to sell. Exciting. Oh, yeah. And like, it took me a while to put Loctite on it because mm. I just have so much anxiety about everything. <laughs> Don't uh, worry, the Loctite can always come off. It, that's yeah, true. It's not, especially with the tiny screws I'm using. It's it's uh, definitely removable, but uh, yeah. You know, like I said, I wanted to make a few more with the handles and stuff I got and uh, make sure I got things dialed in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Congrats. So so when are you selling it? Or do you want to say that yet? I can't. I I don't know. <laughs> I okay. wanted to so bad this month and there's still a chance, but things okay. would have to go so fast and or I'd have to. I don't know. Still figuring a few things out. Yeah. yeah. What have you? What else have you guys been doing? Grant. Yeah. On updates. Um. Let me think. Uh, general just, woes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to bring up what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, shop has been good. I. Uh, okay. It's kind of weird because we had a a drop of thirty one medusas. Okay. Um, as well as a special one that I did. Yep. And. Um, 31 is like when I was alone in my shop, I think 20 was like my record and it, uh-huh. it almost killed me. And, but we did 31 with like, without even hesitation, like we're, yeah. we're still chilling and just like talking half of the day. And then we're mm-hmm. still getting everything done. Um, and it was just kind of crazy. Like everything's kind of gotten into a really good flow. Blades are coming off better than ever the past nice. like two weeks. Um, nice. And so we just get blade. Everything comes off. We assemble it. Anodizing's gotten a pretty good flow now, and we just literally are pumping out knives. So um, that's been really, really nice. And and Zeke is, it, I mean, Zeke is a godsend and an angel to me. Um, but like having him in the shop and simultaneously improving flow and not just listening to the flow that I give him is is something truly special. Um, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's really, really something because like I'm I'm I make a lot of mistakes. I think as, as we all like we're all kind of stupid sometimes. <laughs> and so I'll just do something and then that just becomes the way I do it because I, I don't have enough brain power to keep putting into that product or into yeah. that process. But then just having Zeke on board is like I show him a new process and he goes, what if we change this one little thing about it? And it's like, oh, that's perfect. Like, yeah, let's do that. That's awesome. Um, and even today, like I was, I was showing him heat treat. The, la- the last thing I have actually not given hit to him just because it's not a huge deal. Um, but I was like, yeah, let's like let's you're gonna manage heat treat now. And so I ran him back through the process. I did it before, but he hasn't actually been like running heat treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I'm like sealing up the bags and hammering them closed, I was like, you know, this could be better. I literally bought a, a pneumatic uh, like cylinder press. Um, and I, I just have it because I was like, oh, this will be fun. It's like a hundred bucks. 
And so I just I jerry rigged a little like stamp uh, kind of kind of crossbar press action, put a plate under it, and then literally you just put the bag under, step on a pedal, and it crimps it closed. Like I saw that on your story, it looked awesome. Yeah, just super easy. And yep. and like anyone who's ever done heat treating and heat treat bags knows it's like the worst thing in the world to. It is. To I use my armor for it. Yeah, Arbor Press. I see that Heibel uh, has done this like pneumatic hammering. Oh yeah. Thing, um, and I was like, there's just no good way to do this. No. <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty happy with this. I I still don't like the folding. I wish I really like the ideal thing is like a laser weld, like just put it in it and have yeah, it laser right. weld. Um, but until we get that to that point, I think I'm pretty yeah. happy with it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, shop is flowing. I I did some uh, the. Auctioned off a, a one-off Medusa with some really neat texturing in it. Yeah, that's really um, cool. And yeah, people seem to go crazy for it. I I'm really happy because I bringing in that kind of stuff. I get to play the custom card. Like I can do a one-off thing, and I'm not worried about this like affecting production. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm gonna play a lot with that. Just do like very special, but do one time so that I can kind of get my artist industry out, uh, artist uh, energy out without having to like redo all of my production or like make new fixtures or whatever. So yeah, exactly. Um, that's been really fun. Um, yeah, just chilling. Nice. Uh, Good. Anyways. I'm on the polar opposite of where you're at. Dang. This has been a record low month for me. Oh God. I think this is the worst month of the year, like by a landslide for me so far, just financially speaking. Oh geez. Um, it's to be expected when, you know, you try to get a two brand new products into development. Yeah, yeah. Or one lot. brand new and one old that's getting revamped. Um. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> so it, any progress on uh, slips and? Yep, handles are more or less ready to go. I've been, I was playing around with. Uh, so I'm obviously using a keyway cutter in the titanium. Right. Um. I guess I haven't talked about that on on podcast podcast yet. I don't think. Have you not? I thought we talked. No, about you it talked about the like. You went too light and then it's crazy heavy on the tool holder for the cutter. Yes, yeah, yeah. great. Excellent. Um so I haven't ran any more really since then. Um, but I was playing around with doing the doing a speed channel in it on that same op. So it has like you nice. know square corners and all that. Yeah. However, there's a problem in that uh it kicks a really gnarly burr inside the channel. Oh. And I can't clean that burr up because I Oh. I I rerun the finishing pass inside the channel again with the keyway cutter and it just pushes mm-hmm. the burr the other direction again. So where is the burr? Is it within the, the side channels? It's uh no, it's um so speed channel on the backside, it because I, I come from the outside of the channel in to do that to do that speed channel. Oh. And so it pushes a burr inside. I mean, I'm sure part of it is also because that poor keyway cutter should like have been retired yeah, forever ago. That's a sign of a problem that's going to happen eventually. Exactly. Though. And I mean, I I don't think there's a like a backside deburring tool and exists. Not to uh, that degree, because you'd be you'd be deburring a sharp corner, which is. Mm. Yeah, I well, I can't deburr inside there because it's behind a lip. And I can't get it from the inside of the channel either, because I'd need a ridiculously sized like backside what, chamfer tool. What if you did the speed channel first? Would it, do you think it would just knock the bird the other way? I thought about it. I haven't done it yet. I was afraid of a of like a of an interrupted cut, right? Um, when yeah. I'm you know hogging out the channels, I don't know yet. I might just put the channel onto a third op. I might find a different so route. Maybe I might not I, do a channel at all. 
I might be behind on my lingo. Is <laughs> is a speed channel just like slots in the handles? Yeah. Like, so think of uh, so like you know on your handles, your handles are sandwich, right? So the backside of the channel, they're like you know, there is no channel. Yeah. Yeah. So a speed channel is like oh oh, like so that. it's in the uh, like the thinnest section, like yeah, uh, like but you know if the two handles are together, it's like in between them. Correct. Yeah. You have holes. Yep. Okay. It's just a it's a really convenient <clears throat> place to to put that in order to you know reduce weight if you need to to control. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. I I, I I remember yep. when you uh yeah put those but on for, your last thing. You know, for better or for worse, the handles are like ninety five percent there. It's nice. just a couple small tweaks. I haven't even gotten to blades yet. I did get the Pearson palette on there finally. It took them a very oh. long time to ship my Pearson palette out because they sold out at IMTS, and then I bought like a week after IMTS. Wow. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They did yeah. a discount instead of going to IMTS. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they sold all their inventory at IMTS, but they wow. also didn't make it out of stock on the site, so I ended up like pre-ordering one technically, or back-ordering. Yeah, <laughs> wow. That. So I- it was kind of unfortunate, but... Yeah, they're they're usually super on it. I, I mean, they are. I mean, yeah. to their to their credit, I called after like a week and a half without getting a shipping um, notification. I was like, "Hey, question, Does, you, you guys okay?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, "Oh no, this is the reason, and we're gonna we're gonna next day air it for you the second it's ready." As an apology, I'm like, "Oh, sweet." So oh, yeah, yeah, uh, great company. Nice. Just unfortunate timing. That's here. It's on the machine. It's all dialed in. I actually had Jacob do most of the dialing in on that palette or on nice. that palette base, and uh, he he killed it. I showed him in the basics. In a good like way. I, yep. Yes, exactly. I dialed it in in front of him, and then I took a mallet, and I hit it and walked away and said, okay, do it now. <laughs> oh <my laughs> that's gosh. perfect. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> yep. And he did. It was it was great. So that's all good. Um, hired an assembly tech uh, yesterday. I hired him. Hell yeah. And he starts on Friday. A lot of training for that happening mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um. I'm excited to finally be able to focus purely on process documentation and, and creating processes. Ooh. Yeah. That's going to be like, I more or less won't be a technician anymore. Yeah. Which that's huge. That's, that'd is. be great. It, Absolutely it's huge. tough probably having multiple products, but if, if they're all like your best pallets you've made and yeah. you know, things are more reliable now, hopefully yep. you can kind of stick with it for a bit. Yeah. Ex- yeah. They'll all be in production. I'm, I might even be looking, hopefully, to pick something, another machine up that can maybe get serifs back into production or split duty on my main machine between those and Opus's. Don't know yet. So you want to bring serifs back alongside Opus? They're not gone. Right. They will be coming back. I'd like to run them alongside. I'd, I'd like to keep all of my products in Happening. production, but I, I need another spindle to make that happen. So that's that's a maybe early next year goal. You don't that, think? Uh, a... You don't think maybe there's some advantage to like. You know, kind of rotating. doing something different every every month or something. I thought about just rotating Opus and Serifs, uh, Slifties and and uh, Prismas are are on the table always. They're they're gonna be going always for sure, mm-hmm. because they're just a low. You know, they're a cheaper product. They they serve a, a higher volume role. Yeah, uh, are you hard milling the Slift blades? Are you going to? Uh, no, I'm not going to honestly. Okay, uh, if I did, good. I'd have to charge too much. Yeah, that's I was worried about. Since, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's good. The target price, and no one can quote me—not you guys, but no listeners can quote me on this because it's not guaranteed yet. But the target price is like three fifty for the live bladed variant. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's, that's, low. that's pretty low. Yep. So, I mean, they were three hundred at one point. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, that'll be sweet, though. I, I definitely yeah. not hard milling is the way to do that. Otherwise, yeah. No, I I love hard milling, but um. I hate hard milling. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has its place. Um, and I'm I'm speaking of, I'm getting close to finally dialing in the, the Opus Blades. We should have uh, called yeah. this podcast Hard Milling Therapy. Dude. <laughs> I, Seems that way. I need hard milling therapy. <laughs> I mean, this week has basically been my hard milling therapy because I have not worked a lot this week and I feel nice. guilty about it, but... Don't. Just take the break while you can. I know. I need a break. But yeah. today's my last day of break for a bit. That's fair. And it's back to it. But, uh, yeah. I'm thinking about doing an epoxy pour on on my Opus Blade palette to stiffen it up more. What? Where does yeah. the epoxy go? Well, so that. The, the, the Opus Blade palette has those angled riser blocks on it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's easily half an inch to three quarters of an inch of distance between the top of the like the top of the f- palette and the bottom of the angled blocks. Okay. Wait, what? Well, they're all. How do I explain that? Yeah, they're floating in air. In case you're curious. Yeah. <laughs> um. The, I guess. Well, the blocks sit on top, right? Yeah. And so there's like. Was we'll say three quarters of an inch of dead space where the toolpath or blades don't sit relative to the top of the actual base palette. Okay. So I'm gonna in need theory, a- you could like cut some rectangles out of a piece of steel and like bolt a piece of steel to the top of the palette, and uh, nothing would hit it. Is that kind of what um, you're thinking? Saying no. I'm gonna pull up a picture of your palette. <laughs> I should have one somewhere, I think. Oh, um, no, I know you set several to me. You got right, angled yeah. blocks bolted to the top of a pallet. Correct. Yes, but those blocks, the angle doesn't like you know the the blades sit on the angle, but the blades sit a little bit up on the angle, right? Right. So there's space between like there's space between the pallet that the blocks are sitting on and the blades themselves. Yeah, maybe my there's, there's vertical was- space. Not easy to understand. Yeah, you anyway. can just you can just add some thickness to the pallet, basically. Correct. I can encase the blocks on top of the pallet to some you extent. Could, if the pallet had walls. Yes. You could like pour water, and yes. the water wouldn't reach Correct. the blades for half an inch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're I get you. They're not floating. They're just they're elevated. Correct. Because yeah, okay. Pours <laughs> are really hard. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So I've been thinking about doing like an epoxy pour or some kind of um concrete or something some something rigid and vibration damping on it mm-hmm. to, to 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 really stiffen it up i i everything we've talked about makes me think the blades are vibrating not the whole palette i think the palette's vibrating a little bit okay how how is the palette fixtured uh the the riser block fixtured to the palette uh two screws in a very 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 snug slot okay i mean okay the blocks are almost press fit onto the pallet and then they're bolted in. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if just adding more screws would be. I think the base, the base plate itself is actually vibrating just a little bit. Like, I think where I've gotten them, they're going to be fine in production. Um, but they're not going to be perfect. They'll be perfect to everyone else except me's standards. Probably. Have you put an indicator on the palette while you're in a cut and watch the needle? No, not yet. I haven't gotten that far. Okay. I'm curious what that would say. Because unless you really thin down your palette more than I'm looking at. I did thin it down a fair bit. 
I took off three eighths of an inch. Oh, okay. That that's that is a lot. Yeah, yeah. It is, and I only did it because I didn't have any fresh pallets at the time. Oh, I so it was uh, for prototyping. Okay. Um, well then, yeah, I'm, that's kind of a lot to take out. It is. Yeah. Yep. So I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm not even entirely sure that I'm having necessarily. Yeah, your blades issues. look so great, and then you made them look even better. You know, I talked to to you a little bit earlier this week. I was yeah. like. Yep. I was like, I don't know if you should be stressing about this. I shouldn't be, but here I am anyway. Let let it drive you. Let it. Feel oh, it you. does. It did. I mean, well, it depletes my fuel. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. But yeah, regardless, I'm. I'll get those blades dialed in tomorrow, Ugh. and then it'll be back into full swing production on Monday, which will be good. Everyone will be back in the shop, so there'll be three people in the shop for the first time ever. Nice. I That's mean, exciting. if it's not hurting production, maybe it's not worth doing because having to mess around with changing the palette will hurt production because you'll be changing the palette instead of producing. Well, I'll find out if it's going to affect production or not. I won't know until like the end of day tomorrow if the new yeah. system is true or, or if the little tweaks I've made are truly what's causing it. One thing I did realize is the roughing pass is, also has those waves in it, which means those waves are transferring into the finish pass from the roughing. Mm. Or, Is there a lot of spindle run out? Nope, I have none. Well, I mean, there's always some, but I have like, I think it's a tenth. Oh, gotcha. Yep. I actually, I was speaking or talking with uh, my sales rep slash uh, technician. Uh, he's he's an, an, a veteran tool and die maker, like f- almost 40, 40 plus years of tool and die making. Nice. That's a couple. Just a couple, yeah. Um... And he said that he's seen people who use hydraulic holders uh, have issues like this. Uh, and I don't think this is what it is, but um, he said some hydraulic holders will only grab on to the shank of the tool in like just a section of the shank, not the whole bore. And it can cause that tool to rock back and forth in the cut. Whoa. I don't think Maritool stuff does that. I'm, 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 I'm fairly certain it doesn't, but that was like the only like bit of advice he could even think of for this situation. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to know, I guess that, he, that my, my, our problems are also kind of stumping like longtime veterans of the trade. So yeah, it also doesn't help us. Though. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I'm wondering how you mean, buying a set screw holder might not be that expensive of experiment. I thought about, he actually recommended putting one in just back into an ER20 call it just to see if it makes a difference. Um, I happened to solve the issue before I got to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I solved the issue, I, I happened to notice that my semi-finish pass was also putting waves in it. So I'm, I'm actually fighting the semi-finish. So I need to slow the semi-finish pass down now too. Mm. And then that should, that should keep me dialed in pretty good. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a good fix for now. I mean, yeah. worst case, you're a little bit slower. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter. They the blade cycle time got so low that most of the night was no longer used. Oh, you yeah. you were still running them overnight. Yeah, yeah. Hard milling the bevels runs overnight, along with finishing the second uh, handle pallet. Gotcha. That's yeah. awesome. So, I mean, I have like eight hours of of if not more of dead time at night, so I can. Oh. Yeah, I, crank, I'll just crank, crank the cycle times back up. <laughs> yeah, that's what Slow I do. 
Yeah, I I slowed everything down to maximize my night, and then I was like, okay, yep. now, <laughs> we, yep. we, how do we crank it down a little bit? <laughs> right. One thing I am doing now though is I'm I'm hard milling the profile of the blades during the day. It's actually the first thing that happens since oh. the, since the bevels are on a separate palette than the rest of the blades. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the way the way the flow works is I have to do some hard milling during the day. And so I cranked up the uh, I, I got way more aggressive on that three sixteenths uh, tool that you also use for your bevels. Yeah. Um, I got way more aggressive on that for roughing the profile and it's taken it like a champ. Nice. OK, yeah, that thing I I realized that when I was feeding it, I was doing like low step down and and like low feed rate. I cranked that thing up and like full slotted and cranked the feed rate and it started yeah. performing way better. So yep. I think that tool can take it. It's just how you what use it. What tool is this? It's a uh, it, it's a helical um, hard milling end mill. It's a bull nose. I think ours are 15th out red. Yes. Is it like uh, the or coppery 30. colored? No, it's it's a I don't remember the the, the blue. On yeah, it. they have weird names for it's just gray. Colors. It's just grayish black. Yeah. yeah. But it's their hard mill specific line with like six or nine flutes or something. Yeah. And they are fantastic. Yeah, they're great. They're just expensive as all get out. Oh, yeah. I spent so much money a month on hard milling tools, dude. Yeah, I am right at uh, 700 bucks a month in tooling without like extra breaking tools. I think I. I think I broke 2000 last month. Oh, God. My God. <laughs> Yeah. You're, you're producing more usually, though. Oh, wait, usually, say, not this month. Yeah, I say month. I meant seven hundred a week. Uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a Freudian slip. Really? Yo. Wow. Yeah, my eighty dollar end mills once a day. Oh, uh-huh. oh my god! How many parts do you think you get out of one of those? Uh, well, I get six bevels. Yep. You get okay. <clears throat> or so is that two bevels per blade? Yeah, correct. So the three three full blades come off the mill, and I swap the end mill. Yep. Wow. Yeah. 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 I'm it's I'm expensive. lucky in the fact that I use a ball. I use a cheaper ball end mill to do my bevels instead of that one. Yeah. So I I, I have to the ball the ball every day. I wish I I'm the next design is definitely going to be using a ball because I the stepped bells are fun, but dang yep. they're not they're not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Right. It it has like the five thou radius though. Uh. Or is it a perfectly well, sharp corner? No, 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 mine. Yeah, mine's got a fifteen thou. Maybe yeah, it's, it's 10 or thirty. I think it might be thirty. I don't remember anymore. It's, I just keep buying a, them. Yeah, it's a pretty heavy, heavy radius. I'm lucky. Oh, even with the steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. It yeah. it looks pretty sharp. Yeah, it. I mean, it it looks sharp as as fine, and I I realized because I was trying to use a perfectly sharp end mill to do it originally, and then I was like, oh, you know, man. I'm gonna send it at sixty thou radius, and I did it, and it still looks sharp. So I was like, oh, okay. You yeah, have, there's some wiggle room here. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm really, I'm lucky. The I happen to have a a helical and Harvey distributor that's like three miles from my shop. Oh my and god! Not only do they sell both helical and Harvey, which is a unicorn, they also yeah. stock all of the things I need for me. I'm so I jealous. Any everything I buy from them, they buy double. Oh my! God. <laughs> I am so jealous, dude. That's, they are that's phenomenal. Awesome. Wow. They've saved my ass so many times. Yeah, I'm still buying stuff out of like I think California. I think ah, there's yep. like one place in town that I might be able to get like some Kyocera and mills, and like that's it. Jeez, oh, you're in a bad place for manufacturing, apparently. <laughs> it feels like it. Come move yeah. out here. <laughs> uh, 
You, you didn't really sell it last time I asked you. <laughs> I like desert. It's great out here. Come on. I'm already in the desert. My desert has like nicer weather. You can buy any machine you want out here. Well, all right. That's that might, <laughs> that might be important soon. I was yeah, thinking right. about this though. Like there's so many different aspects of perfectionism. And I like last week, I like talked to you guys a little bit about living different places. Yeah. And I realized like, optimizing too early being a perfectionist i was literally doing that with like where i should live where like i i don't have a roadblock of needing to buy a machine uh this second you know i don't have like roadblocks that require me to move but i'm still like letting it stress me out even though it definitely doesn't need to be my focus at all Mm -hmm. and would be you know hugely slow me down if i had if i moved right now or something it'd hugely slow me down yeah but that's the way my mind works because i like just like with the photo stuff, it's like I have to figure out like what is the most professional, bestest way to do something, you know, even though yep. things work, you know, I, I feel like I have to I'm I'm trying to role play as a real business person. Aren't we all? <laughs> what have you been up to, John? Yes. Breaking things. I saw nice. that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Monday, nice. Monday was interesting. Is that when it happened? Oh, yeah. I rubbed two collet nuts onto parts. I was like, okay, not a big deal. Destroyed like two collets, whatever. Yep. Broke like three tools unexpectedly. I was like, what is going on today? And I was like, okay, everything is all good. The machine's been running for two and a half hours. It'll be fine. Like the second to last chamfer toolpath was like, nah, I need to touch the dark side of this tombstone right now. On the dark side of the tombstone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, why? (laughs) Why you do this? So is it just a full like like Z-axis plunge through the tombstone? Luckily, luckily it was like a trace toolpath and its retract plane was only like an inch above. Okay. Um so what happened was (sighs) it's kind of set up weird to where I can't really pattern the toolpath around. So there's two groups of like handles basically. Right. And I just copy and pasted them. Okay. And then had to, cause the WCSs are specific to bores that are on the plates mm-hmm. um, at that rotated angle or whatever. So I'm not using like centerline programming for it. Okay. And apparently when I copy and paste it and then basically re clicked contours, which seems to be the most dangerous thing you can possibly do in fusion. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, I forgot to uncheck the bottom one, like the bottom trace on. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah. And so, and Fusion's actually been pretty good about, uh, like if you do it, if you do that now to a drill toolpath, it'll actually warn you, like, hey, I think this hole is not in the right orientation or the right plane. Right. And you're like, oh, thank you. Uh But for this toolpath, it didn't, it doesn't show any errors or collisions or anything. And the yeah. thing is, the, the linking move was the same linking move as the above one. So it was in the same linking move. So you wouldn't see it if you were just uh-huh. perusing through the toolpaths. Yeah. And right. it was like, I simulated it all and I was like, yep, looks good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And then, of course, you're trying to set everything back up the way it was when the tombstones were machined, which is yeah, that's like the worst is yeah, is very 
Man. time consuming. And then I don't know, you end up getting obsessed about like five tenths of I don't know what you call it, like rotated. How would you describe this? So like, like five tenths TIR total indicated route. Like, so basically you want the face of the fourth axis to obviously be parallel with the Y axis and travel. And so you do it as best as you can. And I'm doing this with like all a 10th indicator. Yep. And then I get it all assembled like, you know, 10 hours later or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like checking one of the long, long, uh, what would you call it? Long sides of the tombstone. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like over a seven inch distance. It's like five tenths off. And I'm like, Am I okay with that? But it's like it's seven inches. It's a really far. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, so I'm yeah. Like, I'm like I'm gonna just see if the parts come out like they should, and then visually they did, and then they ended up okay. checking dimensionally, and I was like, okay, yeah. this good. is good. But Yo. it's it is very like uh, I don't know what you'd call it, just like in the back of your mind all the time that if mm-hmm. it becomes off you have to sit there and break the whole system down to repair or like realign everything. And it's kind of, I don't know, like it's annoying. Have you you thought about swapping to centerline uh, programming? It would make, it would make teardown and setup faster. So most of, most of the stuff on the fourth axis is actually centerline. It's just the handles because of the way the pivot it's not a completely round pivot. It's got that shoulder in it. Right. The actual blade pivot. And it has to be the actual pivot bore in op one is already located essentially to where the stop pin is. Okay. In that first op. And so the issue is it needs to be as close as possible that like that outside shoulder for the for the pivot to make everything line up. Because Are you talking of the, about like where the pivot goes in the handle? Yeah. So okay. that, that shoulder, unfortunately, that shoulder is so tight to the actual the pocket it sits in. It has to be that tight because visually, if it's not, it rotates and puts a like a gap on right. like mm-hmm. two of the edges, and then it doesn't look good. Yeah. Of, of course. And so that ends up requiring you to be really, really accurate with that actual uh, where the shoulder sits in comparison to the bore. So basically yeah. that shoulder has to be concentric to that bore as best as possible. And so if you if you think about it like center line all the way up to the handle and then trying to match it along with a bunch of other stuff like thermal growth and stuff, it ends up not lining up all the time or it's a pain to... I guess compensate for. Okay. Is it a probable feature or is it too small to probe? It's too small to probe because of the uh I guess you could like a one mil ball. So I had that small I'm using the small probe tip. I don't know what in millimeter size it is. But basically that's why that WCS is up where a like it's right next to it essentially. And that's where it's probed from. And gotcha. it's proven it's proven really good as far as oh, okay. locating. And so I'm kind of stuck doing that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. When, when I did the first knife, I ran into I mean, I fought with that like this issue for probably a month because I didn't really know what I was doing. And okay. I'm like, I don't understand why some knives go together. 
and then some have this weird like tension to them and it's because that pivot was sitting not parallel to the handles yeah and it was had like twists in it essentially so yeah fourth axis stuff is a pain hooray <laughs> yeah and uh yeah that's that's basically it <laughs> nice so is the whole process ready for production yeah, it's back together, and I got stuck messing with form, fourth axis toolpaths. Yeah, what was up with that? Um, were you unhappy with the with the previous? Oh way? right, you're using like the the form like three D modeling environment. Yeah, so I'm using what's the toolpath called? Flow. Yep, and. Because mostly for hard milling because of the hollow grind mm-hmm. and because I've been talking to, uh, is it boost blades? I think that's his, he's doing the grinding. Okay. We've been talking back and forth about, you guys sent me one of his posts and was like, look at the actual, the grinding quality he's getting. So I talked to him a couple months ago about it. And then we were talking the other day and I was like, if I can get this, an actual simultaneous flow toolpath to work, then I can use grinding tools on the hollow grind. But my uh-huh. issue is usually they're really wide and you can't use a typical grinder to actually work on a hollow grind from what I can tell without right. either a fifth or fourth axis. And then Fusion's fourth axis simultaneous stuff sucks. <laughs> yeah, like, it's no I've it's, done some. It's It's real hard to make work. Yeah, it's really bandaging type stuff. And then so yep. I was doing using the f- actual form environment because that gives you actual ISO curve surfaces mm-hmm. versus solid models. And because when I clicked on the actual like on a handle face, it was like invalid geometry. And I was like, OK, that's super weird. Mm-hmm. So then I found out like an hour or two ago it was bugged. Oh, because now when I click on a face, it doesn't do that so i spent like three hours oh, trying to learn how to, eat, how to build form body or form oh, awesome wow <laughs> i, I like, feel like i remember watching like one of rob lockwood's videos or something i thought maybe using the form can get you better results though it can but it's it's really really weird so there's one i post on my story that's like it looks like the perfect tool path where it's the points are it's you know, yeah, mathematically correct as you could be. And what's interesting is when it generates the actual simultaneous toolpath, it only, it'll do a cut and then it'll locate, it'll change the angle of the fourth axis. But if you, and that might actually be correct as far as what it's supposed to be doing, because I think flow is trying to keep whatever degree you set on the tool. Yeah, to you can set like a cutting. tool angle. Yeah, to always be cutting that. So that might actually be correct. But if you click on a normal face or like a piece of geometry that you haven't really messed with, it'll actually give you simultaneous cutting moves. So in the cut, it'll move the fourth. Yep. So I'm not sure, but like I literally have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just trying to go for results. Yep. And yeah, and then I'm trying a grinding wheel on a you know, like you said, janky setup. Is that a grinding yeah, wheel or is that a scotch brite wheel? It is a convolute wheel, which is a silicon silicon carbide? Silic, silicon oh. carbide? Oh. So it's, like huh? it's like if 
you can, I have a big one, a six inch one that I put like red rouge buffing compound on to Mm -hmm. buff titanium parts. It's the same wheel composition, but it's just a small two inch wheel. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So so I was like, sorry. No, go ahead, David. (laughs) So like, uh, how, how, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how you use a a grinding wheel in a mill. I know I've like heard, you know, Grimsmo talk about it or, or whatever, but you know, is is the meal? Does the does the grinding wheel have like um, curvature to it at all? So I'll so I'll just talk about this grinding wheel, and then I'll talk about my idea for the the actual the blades. But for okay. this grinding wheel, it's not a hard grinding wheel. It's actually has some give to it. Okay. And okay. Yeah, it's on the bench grinder. You can stick your hand into it, and it won't cut you. Oh, it's literally for deburring or buffing. It's it's a very yeah. It's a yeah very I think I've heard of It's they're really expensive. If you go to a high quality one, they're really expensive, oh. and they last a long time. They're really worth their their money, honestly. So I was like, I can get I can buff titanium by hand, like the handles and stuff, and get a really nice uniform finish. And then when you tumble that, because you've essentially buffed down those those peaks down yep. to the same level. They, it tumbles a lot faster. And I was like, if I could just get the mill to do that, then I don't need to do it. Cause mm-hmm. you know, so that's what I've been trying. And it's obviously not going as easy as I, <laughs> you know, as you, as you would hope, but the plan yeah. is I'm going to get a diamond dresser. Cause you can dress these oh. and I'm actually going to dress it on the tombstone, like kick yes. the wheel sideways. And then that way I'd, you can't really measure the wheel currently because you would buy this wheel and put it on a hand grinder and like yeah. welds or something with it is what it's real intended purpose for, for like this size. So what I want to do is take the Renishaw probing macro for the tool setter. When you do di- diameter, like you try to measure diameter, it spins and I can't spin the buffing wheel because it's going to cut the, the shank of the tool setter. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I want to make I want to take the macro and edit it and basically have it just zero RPM, measure diameter, and then based on like how much it's ground versus its diameter, update the toolpath and move in that much. Yep. But I'm not going to do that yet because it's going to take like another solid two days to do. But that's the plan. And what's really cool <clears throat> is because you could take the inverse of like the handle. Uh, what do you want to call it? outside curve and you could actually grind that profile into the wheel if you wanted to and then yeah. take like full passes which would result in probably the best finish see that's Obviously. what i was wondering like on a surface grinder you take less than the wheel because like you know you kind of just use an edge of the wheel and that part wears away the most but eventually it's you know taking less cuts uh on you know the further away the wheel is from the cut uh on a surface grinder and so, like, I've heard Grimso talking about using grinding wheels in the mill, and it, he he made it sound like, I feel like he was taking, like, half-thou cut passes or something oh, crazy yeah, he small. Is. It's something like several hundred or a thousand passes per blade with that grinding wheel in the current. Yeah, and so I had no idea, like, if he's, it's just because it's, like, he's using a corner or, or, like, why you'd have to do that many passes unless it still contours, but it's a similar phenomenon to using a surface grinder. I don't it's really just have... finish and tool life combination of both i'm sure so I mean, when he's taking all these tiny pat well i because i'd almost think it'd make tool life worse when he's taking all these tiny passes like how much of the wheel do you think is cutting 
Mm, just whatever. Yeah, whatever's engaged. Whatever us pipe would be, which yeah. is very tiny. Uh, I th- it's I don't know what the grind style on like the Rask and the Norseman is, but I think they're hollow grinds, and it probably has something to do with that. The fact I that the hollow so. grind is like, you know, it's not straight in any I, way. The Rask, the Rask looks pretty flat. Yeah, so the Rask is the only one that he grinds right now that I'm aware of, and that one I I know is a flat grind because he roughs that he roughs that bevel with the side of an end mill. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. There's a there's a lot going on as far as trying to figure this stuff out because there's yeah. no information. Right. <laughs> so you, think, uh, you said you could get like big ones of these wheels for uh like a bench grinder. Um like I just have like flat bevels and you were talking about cleaning up titanium. Do you think you could hide tool marks with this kind of wheel? Uh I don't think on titanium you can, and I'm still experimenting with it because it's been only like yesterday and today you definitely oh. can with this wheel but i don't think you could get away with trying to do it on hardened steel on stainless i think you would just you would just be polishing essentially at this point at okay like it doesn't cut like that yeah it makes sense yeah i mean it'll deflect essentially it's it's i don't know like if you had a durometer comparison but you can move it by hand by squeezing it that's pretty um, soft then frankly yeah it, and I think for titanium, the way titanium is kind of weird with the way the surface is and the way heat is and stuff, it seems to work pretty good for it, but I'm still messing with like surface footage and stuff, which is all over the place from the testing. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not even, it's not even one made for this. It's a, uh, you said it was like for welding or something. Yeah. I mean, like. I want to dress it and not because putting a inverse profile in it sounds really cool, but because it's run out is so bad uh-huh. because it's oh. on a screw arbor. Right. Mm, excellent. Yeah. So I was like, I wonder how fast I can spin this and not damage spindle bearings. <laughs> but it's not, it doesn't weigh anything. So you could, you yeah. could honestly fully spin it, but yep. just a thought. Okay. Huh. Cause well, and I was asking the question because I was wondering like where you're trying to f- figure out how to get the right feed and speed. Yeah, I'm from what I've seen, it seems like twenty five hundred SFM. Uh, All right, dang. Yeah, but it's <laughs> and it's like a two inch wheel. <laughs> yeah, that's what like two a few thousand. I don't know. If, I don't know if the calculations are right. I just remember what Fusion was was yeah. showing. But it ends up being like 5,000 RPM or 4,500 okay. or something. And then, huh. yeah, because what would happen, it was it would orange peel really bad any higher than that. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think I saw that on your story. It's probably too much heat buildup or something. Yeah, it's definitely a heat thing. But Well, well I'd wonder if it'd like deform because of like centrifugal force or something or centripetal well, force. Well, it also, the wheel packs up too. It kind uh, of... Yeah. Uh, it, you like it's really it looks like a surface grinder wheel that's yep. full of stuff like it really needs to be dressed honestly yeah <laughs> yeah huh. yeah uh, let me ask you guys a question has anyone spent a lot of time surfacing aluminum surfacing like 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 3d surfacing yeah like 3d surfacing i've done a fair bit why um well so sure I, I, david has too yeah, yeah it's been a while but definitely so I, I'm working on the, the Gaboon, and I today I took another crack at it. I decided, and this is kind of a 
phenomenon that I'm starting to realize. I don't like surfaced textures on <laughs> on aluminum specifically. I think titanium is fine. Like like the tsunami and the opus like felt fine. Okay. But on uh so when when making my special Medusa I did, I had the surfacing or the the engraving go pretty deep up the whole thing and I really hated how it felt. And then I realized that that same thing that I didn't like was why I didn't like the gab handles at their current state because I was doing a diagonal surfacing on the aluminum. Did you, with the... Did you tumble after the uh, after the engraving on the special Medusa? Uh, I did. I did a little bit. Um, oh. I, di- I did a second batch and I basically did it deep at the bottom and deep at the very top. But mm-hmm. where your thumb like naturally rests when you're doing like a fan or something is like only five thou instead of like fifteen or I think fifteen. Okay. Um, and that felt so much better. So that's the the one that actually went to auction. That's the way it was. Okay. Um, and I that it's just kind of the way I did it because I I engraved with a a ninety degree engrave. It wasn't like a ball or something. See, un- unless you're trying to get that look, to me it seems strange going at the angle. Like, well, so are, so are you trying to get that look or do you want it like smooth? Okay, so I wanted the angle to add grip to aluminum. But right, I okay. think that was a improper idea because when you surface aluminum, you're not actually adding much more grip, but you are making it just less comfortable. <laughs> and uh, uh, Sorry, a heavy step over surface like I did before, um, where today I tried to make it a really, really fine step over surface. And so it truly a smooth but round surface felt so much better. Anyway, let's get to the point. It, it felt so much better with the smooth surface. However, doing what I'm doing with the surfacing, the surfacing looks like garbage. Um, uh-huh. I think I'm getting chip packing is the best way I can. I'm guessing because okay. um, it's like the actual surfacing is large cusps, but pretty consistent, which is fine. I expected that because I'm taking a pretty heavy cut. Yeah. But then every once every like you know, 20 cusps is just this weird gray ditch that looks like a chip just ate into it. Okay. So this, this might be information that you already know or something, but I'll tell you how I've always done it, which is like based on knowledge from like people who taught me machine, which is like, I always do lengthwise cuts. Like I, I step up, you know, I don't like, you know, go, I, like I go around the part, you know, if I was adding a radius to a round part, I'm like doing a bunch of circles, right? Right. To, to, to smooth it out. And so that's what I've always done. But then if I want texture, like different parts, I've had like knurling kind of things or whatever textures, I always do the smoothing thing first. And then the texture, I switch to a smaller end mill. Cause for that first part, I use as big an end mill as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the, the texture, I'll go to like an eighth inch end mill, uh, and I will, in the simulation, I'll like find what looks good, and I'll just do like negative stock to leave until it like just barely is about to make sharp points, but there's a little flat. Right. Um, yeah, that's how I, the serif is. Okay. Um, so that's not the way I did the the gab originally. Um. And I, I, that might be worth trying if I go back to texture, yep. but I think I'm liking the smooth, and so I want to keep going with the yeah. smooth. So, question for you on that. Y- yes. Are you doing both ways or one way? One way. 
uh, climb way. Yeah. Climb mill the whole way. Yeah, and it is. Uh, so the way I was doing it at a forty-five, I changed it to, to a long, the along the long side of the handle to cut down travel time. Yep. Uh, um. So, because uh, the way I when I surfaced the uh, the price bikes, I was having similar but different issues, and okay. changing it to a forty-five fixed all of those because something I don't know. Yep. Um. And so I, I was trying to avoid 45 because now that I have a, such a fine step over, if I do 45 with all of the travels, it the cycle time just gets immense, which I'm trying to not do. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like if there's a certain feeder speed f- or a certain like what kind size of size of what kind of tool? How many flutes? It's a it's a three flute, and this is something that is probably part of the cause. It's an eighth inch three flute ball. I I ordered a three sixteenth to move up because. The way I was doing it was using an eighth inch three sixteenth, or sorry, eighth okay. inch ball to do the the texturing. Yeah, what um, brand? Uh, Harvey. It's the the second. It's right before the amorphous diamond coating. It's the Harvey aluminum specific. Um, okay. Coating. So it, it's a, you know, ball or end mill. Yeah, but I so think the size flute, of it. Yeah. With a three flute ball, only one flute goes to center. Right. Okay. That's fair. Um, maybe try a two flute. Yeah, or, or, even, flute. or I mean, uh, I I think I think you might be surprised that I don't think that the aluminum coating is always necessary or even a win. No, and, I actually uh, prefer uncoated tools for aluminum any for for anything finishing, and I also prefer polished uh polished flutes. Okay, so and all- and the four flute or or even more potentially if if it's not a lot of engagement. So the, the nice thing about the Harvey one is they are polished. Um and they are the, okay. The coating that's on it is it's some it's it is very different. It's not like the generic like gold aluminum coating or, or whatever yep. else. It is it is almost white. It looks like a white gold. Um, okay. So I assumed that I was gonna be better about, than yeah. uncoated. Um and if it's you know, polished, at the end of the day it shouldn't matter. Right. But um, but I think you you're onto something with the one flute going to the middle. I did not even yeah. think about that. Yeah, so. it might maybe. Um, the only other thing I think, uh, what are your feeds and speeds? Do you know? Uh, seven thou feed per tooth. And what's your RPM? All of it? Uh, all of it. 8,100. Oh, you'll, oh. Yeah. Seven, I don't have the like, talk. Seven thou inch per tooth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds kind There's of like your, a, quite a bit. Your, yeah. How aggressive is the cut in terms of like engagement? Uh, it was a 10 thou step over. If that, how much material is on it before? All of it, uh, you know, eighth of an inch. So you're using well, if you're using the oh, center yeah, of the ball, it's like a lot of chip thinning, though. So, well, it's, well, it's cut. It's cutting up the whole flute. So I'm taking yeah. a roughing pass, essentially. I think you're. I I think you're. I I think you're packing flutes a little bit. Okay, so I think maybe, treat that as a roughing. Treat that as a roughing. Leave a few thou, and then do a yeah. finishing. Okay, that's a good idea. I I kind of yeah. forgot because the way I was doing it before altered the way I was thinking about it and then I just kind of shifted things without going okay. back so I, I think that's a good point because it is a roughing pass and the way I'm doing it now is that's that's a very clear finish yeah that, that should be a good is, end mill so I would try using that end mill just with a with, with a rough and finish pass first okay I'll, I'll try and, that. and, and I, I, I still think you know just like with the trying to get like a semi finish before the finish on the bevels I think you can think similarly where maybe even use a bigger end mill first to do the semi finish basically. Yeah. Well, so I I will definitely, I definitely am going to keep the ball because the way I do the internal 
the like uh the weight removing portion is it's an inverse hollow so okay. it's it's a it's a convex Vex. surface and i'm surfacing it in yeah makes it look really cool and i really like it and i'm nice. gonna stick to it oh, and yeah, so definitely. i have to have an eighth inch to get the the detail of that mm-hmm. but i think the overall part having a three sixteenths and roughing and surfacing it i think will. so is this all. a product that you've shown on instagram or not no i don't think so okay uh, i think we saw it in discord briefly See, I was imagining yeah. it like a, a concave shape. Like, or sorry, a convex shape. Is it concave or convex? So if it think of it like I made a slot and then I, I extruded a tube in that slot and then I surfaced it. So it's, it is a convex surface sunk into a slot that is surfaced so it has radius on all the edges. Yep. Does that make sense? No. so so instead of like if if i just plunged a ball in mill and made a like a like a groove yeah the bottom of the groove is not going down it's going up so but but they're still it's still sunken into the part so it's it is a like an inverse okay i can kind of see why you would need a pretty small end mill then yeah Yeah, well to get into the kind of the corners of it uh if you use a larger end mill just look like a flat at the bottom with with i I was thinking about it just like you know like a squid trainer has radius edges, you know, and so you could use right. a freaking inch diameter ball if you wanted to on, you know, right. or just yeah. a form tool like he does, I'm sure. Yeah, so I'm probably, yeah, I'll I'll use a larger, and I might even go up to quarter inch for the, for the, because the, the outside of it is all rounded. It's a, it's a continuous round with like, it's like a button head screw rounded with a, with a technically flat top. Right. Um, and so I'll probably bump up that, end mill and add another tool and then keep the little end mill to do the little bucket. Yeah, but, I think finishing pass will solve it all. That's yeah, I think you're right. Things. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know why I wasn't thinking about that. Because <laughs> you had many other things to think about. I, yeah, outside, you're right. <laughs> I had, uh, one of the last things I did on my last design is I I changed it from like a complex lofted geometry that had to be surfaced to a uh, just a form tool could cut it uh, yeah, like like a huge form tool, um, but uh, I don't know if I like it or not. Yeah, I, I I'm, it, once I dial in how I actually like the design, I might look to see if there's a form tool that kind of fixes it. the The big thing that I'm struggling with is it's a 3D taper, so it's not like a simple form tool like chamfer. It's it, even if I were to form tool it, I would be form tooling it up or down into a narrow kind of area. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. not sure about the like the feeds and feeds for that or if that's even a good idea at all. <laughs> so so I'm going to surface it and see if I like it and then maybe down the road try to make it optimal. Cool. Mm. Anyway, thank you for the help cuz I I think that's going to solve my problem. Hopefully it does. Do we start wrapping up? Yeah. This is a good place. I think so. Yeah. Thanks for cool. listening. Yeah. Until next time. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>